Hello, friends. It is the weekend of Sunday, April the 2nd. It is also Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday, 2023. What kind of king did we expect? We're going to look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those who that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So today is Palm Sunday, the day on which Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a young donkey. This day has been described by Christians for generations as the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But have we ever asked ourselves, if this was a triumphal entry, then why did they crucify Jesus at the end of the week? Even the compilers of the Revised Common Lectionary realize that this Sunday is a problem because they give us different readings from the Gospels. One reading is from this passage and is called the Palms reading, not Palm reading, but Palms because of the palm fronds that those who greet Jesus line his way with. The other reading is called the Passion reading because the suffering of Jesus at the end of the week is called the Passion of the Christ. You, of course, remember, I guess, about 12 years ago now, Mel Gibson made a movie with that title, and it depicted his view of the last hours of Jesus. So we have this problem today that we have to address. If this is such a glorious Sunday for all Christians, what goes wrong by Friday that Jesus will find himself betrayed by one of his own disciples, arrested by the high priest's guard, accused by a coalition of religious leaders, tried by the Roman governor, and sentenced to die the death of a common criminal, death by crucifixion. Well, it's really a day of two processions. We, we may not know that Jesus' procession in Jerusalem was not the only procession the city saw that day. In the year 30 AD, Roman historians record that the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilate, led a procession of Roman cavalry and centurions into the city of Jerusalem. Um, imagine the spectacle of that entry from the western side of the city, the opposite side from which Jesus enters. Pontius Pilate leads Roman soldiers on horseback and on foot. Each soldier, soldier excuse me, um, clad in leather, armor, polished to a high gloss, on each centurion's head, hammered helmets that, that would have gleamed in the sunlight. At their sides, sheathed in their scabbards, were swords crafted from the hardest steel. And in their hands, each centurion carried a spear, or if they were an archer, a bow 
with a sling of arrows across their back. Drummers would have beat out the cadence of march, for this was no ordinary entry into Jerusalem. Pilate, as governor of the region, which included not only Judea, but Samaria and and Idumea, knew it was standard practice for the Roman governor of a foreign territory to be in its capital for religious celebrations. It was the beginning of Passover, this Jewish festival that the Romans allowed. However, the Romans must have been aware that this festival celebrated the liberation of Jews from another empire, the Empire of Egypt. So Pilate had to be in Jerusalem. Since the Romans had occupied this land by defeating the Jewish people and and deposing their king about 80 years before, uprisings were always in the air. The, the, The last major uprising, long before Pilate's time, had been after the death of Herod the Great in 4 B.C., the uprising started in Sepphoris, about five miles from Jesus' boyhood home of Nazareth, before it was over the city of Sepphoris, the capital of Galilee, and now the town of Emmaus had been destroyed by the Roman army. So after putting down the rebellion there, the Romans marched on Jerusalem, and after pacifying the city, they crucified over 2,000 Jewish people who were accused of being part of the rebellion. The Romans had made their intolerance for rebellion very well known. And so on this occasion, Pilate had traveled with this contingent of Rome's finest from his preferred headquarters in Caesarea by the sea to the stuffy, crowded provincial capital of the Jews, Jerusalem. The temple would be the center of Passover activity. Antonia's fortress, the Roman garrison built adjacent to the temple compound, would serve as a good vantage point from which to keep an eye on on the Jewish people. Pilate's entry into Jerusalem was meant to send this message to the Jews and to those who might be plotting against the empire of Rome. This spectacle was meant to remind them of what had happened the last time of a wide-scale uprising. And it was meant to intimidate the citizens of Jerusalem themselves, who might think twice about joining such a rebellion if it was slated to fail. But I said that this is a day of two processions, so let's get back to the to Jesus and his entry into Jerusalem. If Pilate's procession was meant to as a show of military might and strength, well, Jesus's procession was meant to show the opposite. Both Matthew and Mark record Jesus's own words as he instructs the disciples to go into the city, find a donkey that was tied up. They were to ask the owner if they may use the donkey, and they are to say that the Lord needs them. Then Jesus quotes from Zechariah, the ninth chapter, say to daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But there's more to this passage than just a description of Jesus's means of transportation for the day. The prophet Zechariah is speaking to the nation, and in Zechariah 9, the prophet reassures the people of Judah, called Judea on the the New Testament, that, that God has not forgotten them. But I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. 
So in other words, Jesus' quote from the prophet Zechariah reminded those who heard him um, of the entire passage. The message that they heard was, God will deliver the nation from the oppressor. In this case, Rome. But the king they seek will come to them humbly, not on a steed of war, but on a slow-moving donkey, the symbol of a king who comes in peace, according to Zechariah. The two possessions could not be more different in the messages that they convey. Pilate, leading Roman centurions, asserts power and might of the empire of Rome, which crushes anyone who opposes it. Jesus, riding on a donkey, a young donkey, embodies the peace and the tranquility that the shalom that God brings to his people. Those who watch that day will make a choice. They will either serve the God of this world, might and power, or they will choose to serve the king of a very different kind of kingdom, the kingdom of God. But there's a problem of leadership. There's another problem. In, in their book titled Leadership on the Line, Marty Linsky and Ron Heifetz define leadership this way. Leadership is about disappointing your own people at a rate that they can absorb. <laughs> so Jesus has another problem. Of course, his followers and others who get caught up in his entry into Jerusalem think that they are choosing to follow Jesus. But by the end of the week, Jesus will have disappointed the crowd at a rate faster than they can stand. They will turn on him. Even those closest to Jesus, the 12 disciples, will either betray him outright or abandon him in confusion and fear. It's interesting to note that the crowd on that Sunday proclaimed Hosanna to the son of David. In other words, they were placing their faith in Jesus that he would restore the glory of the nation to the splendor when David and his son Solomon ruled a united kingdom. That's what the Jewish people wanted, after all, to be ruled by a man like David, a man so committed to God that the Old Testament prophets had proclaimed that the coming Messiah would sit on the throne of his father, David. The Messiah would bring back the glory of Israel, would rid the nation of oppressors, would rule benevolently, and would be kind to the common people. Jesus had challenged the rulers of Judea already. Not the Roman rulers, but the local rulers. He had said to them that the temple was not, only, <clears throat> was not the only way to find God's forgiveness, and, and further, that the temple will be destroyed with not one stone left on another. Of course, those who made their living from the temple, like the scribes, the chief priest and his priests, the ruling council of the Sanhedrin, the religious parties, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, well, they would all lose their power and their prestige if there was no temple. Or even if the temple was no longer the only place where one could be forgiven by God. So when Jesus miraculously saves a lame man by first saying, your sins are forgiven, and then healing him, he challenged the authority of the temple system. And when Jesus drove money changers from the temple, proclaiming that the temple was to be a house of prayer for all nations, but that religious leaders had made it a den of thieves, Jesus exposed the corruption of the temple tax, the scandalous monetary exchange exchange rate, and the dishonesty of those uh, sold animals for sacrifice. Jesus had disappointed and alienated powerful people. He did so because the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes, most of the Levitical priests and others who ruled on Rome's behalf were part of the same system and oppression and domination that Pilate was a part of. 
So there's this contrast of kingdoms. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem may or may not have been planned to, to occur on the same day as Pilate's procession through the western gate of the city. Whether it was planned or not, the two processions provided a contrast that's unmistakable. Because you see, Pilate served the Son of God too. The late Emperor Augustus, who ruled from 31 BC to 14 AD, was said to have been fathered by the god Apollo and conceived by his mother Aida. Inscriptions referred to him as Son of God, Lord, and even Savior. After his death, a legend had it that he was seen ascending into heaven to take his place among the gods. Augustus's successors, Tiberius, during Jesus' life and ministry, also bore divine titles until later in the first century, the emperors would demand to not only be addressed as God, but to be worshipped as God also. So a contrast between king and kingdoms is on display on that day in Rome. And although many of the common people thought that they sided with Jesus, they did so for the same reasons that the Pharisees and others sided with Rome. They thought Jesus could do for them what Rome had done for their rulers make their lives better, deliver them from the oppressive system under which they lived and work, and turn the tables on the Romans. How much in 2023 has not changed? And that's why the crowd turns on Jesus by the end of the week. And they don't think he's going to do any of those things. And in addition, Jesus is going to make life worse for them, not better. Their religious leaders, all of them who never agree on anything, agree that Jesus is going to attract the attention of the Roman Empire, especially during Passover, and Rome will come down fast and hard on the entire nation. Caiaphas's speech in John eleven forty five through 50 affirms this. So when Jesus is accused, he is brought by Pilate before the angry mobs. They, they want to be rid of him. Jesus, in their minds, never did what they wanted him to do. He, he never defeated the Romans. He never dissolved the unfair tax system. He never put common people in charge of the government. And furthermore, he, he never would. And to appease the crowds that swelled in the city of Jerusalem, Pilate had the custom of releasing prisoners, many of whom were political prisoners. But on this last week, the life of Jesus, Pilate offers the crowd a choice between Barabbas, who was a known robber, and Jesus, a failed, quote-unquote, Messiah. Fearing that if Jesus were released, he would start all over again, the crowd begged for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be executed. And not just by any means, crucify him was the cry. Because crucifixion was one form of capital punishment that would show Rome, uh, that would show Rome the Jews were completely loyal and would humiliate Jesus even in death. But we're getting ahead of the story this week, a story which we conclude, of course, next Sunday. But for one moment, ask, let's ask ourselves, if I had been in Jerusalem that day and had seen both processions passing by, which would I have chosen to follow? Because that's the choice that we make today. So oftentimes I find myself worshiping, corporately worshiping, which is good, which is what the people were doing in Jerusalem that day, worshiping the Lord in their midst. But then somehow during the week, I, 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 start, to, I start to lose sight of that and who, whom I'm worshiping. And I start to lose sight of that kingdom. And then I choose power and might over love to choose the way things are done over the way things God intends them to be. Two processions, two theologies, two choices. Which would we choose? What kind of king do we in fact expect?
Amen. And God bless.